Well, we're going to be in Romans chapter 9. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to invite you to turn there. Uh, Romans chapter 9, we're going to be starting in verse 30. We're going to work all the way through chapter 10, verse 17. So Romans chapter 9. And I already said it today, but I want to say it again. Hey, we're glad that you are here. Welcome. Whether you're visiting with us or whether you, uh, this is your church home, we're excited that you are here. And I just want to say up front, um, I had the flu like three weeks ago, and so my body's recovering. And so many times I practiced this sermon, I found myself short of breath. So if, if I'm short of breath, that's why. I apologize. But Romans 9, we're going to dive in. It's going to be good. But to start us off this morning, I want to ask you this question, and it's a, it's a serious question. I want to ask you this question. Why did you come here this morning? Why did you come here this morning? Why do you gather each Sunday with your church family? Is it, is it to encounter Jesus? Is it because you need, you desire, you want to encounter Jesus? And there's a lot of other great reasons to join, to gather as the church family. But do you come here wanting to encounter Jesus through God's word. And so last week we started a new series called Why We Gather. And it's looking at why do we do what we do when we gather as a church family. And today we're going to be asking this important question. Why do we preach the word of God when we gather as a church family on Sunday? Why do we preach the word of God when we gather together as a church family. And really, when you look at it, preaching the word of God is really what makes us unique as a church family, as the church. You can gather with all types of people for all types of reasons. You can gather with a group of people in, in a cycling group where you go and cycle, or you can gather with a group of people over your favorite sports teams to, to watch them play. You can gather with a, a, a parent support group, whatever, fill in the blank. You can gather with all types of people for all types of reasons. But what makes us unique as the church is we gather because we want to hear the word of God. So that we can obey it and live. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see God's people gathering to hear God's word so that they can obey it and live. And then Jesus comes in Mark 1, 38. Jesus says he has come to preach the word of God. And then all throughout Acts, starting with Peter in Acts 2 at Pentecost, Peter, full of the spirit, stands up. To proclaim to the crowd at Pentecost that Jesus is the resurrected Lord and Messiah. Repent and put your trust in him. And then all throughout Acts, we see the apostles going and proclaiming Jesus. Thousands believing, joining the church and the church devoted to the apostles teachings, devoted to the gospel. And so what we're going to see today is this, when we gather here on Sunday as a church family, when we gather, we should come expecting, wanting to encounter Jesus through God's word because we need him and because we desire him more than anything else in this world. But here's the tension for us. 
I think we will all agree with this. We can have the tendency to show up and just go through the motions. We can have the tendency to show up and just go through the motions. I'm right there with you. It's easy to do. We get comfortable. We, we come to church a thousand times. We've heard the gospel many times. We get comfortable. Life is hard. It can be a battle to get your kids at church on Sunday. And so when you sit down in worship, you're tired. Or how many of you love Mondays? Mondays are right around the corner. It's the next day. And the, the, the stresses of work pops in your head while you're here at worship. And you get stressed out. You get distracted. Or who else gets tempted by naps on Sunday? Sunday afternoon naps. I get tempted for Sunday afternoon naps. It's so easy for us to come here to gather and go through the motions. And then when we leave here, we go, we feel nothing. We leave here and it just feels like we're just going through the motions. And I think, I think we get there because we stop coming expecting. We stop coming wanting to encounter Jesus together with our church family. So why do we preach God's word when we gather as a church family? Let's, let's dive into Romans chapter 9, verse 30. And we're going to read a lot, so it's going to be awesome. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Uh, with the book of Romans, Paul wrote this, wrote this book to the, the church or the churches in Rome. He says this, what should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness. Namely, the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. He's talking about Israelites in general. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. Here's the good news. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Christ down or who will go down into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you in your heart in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of the faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Praise God for that. He keeps going. It says the same thing here. Verse 10 is so important. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without, the, without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? One of the most point-blank things Paul's ever wrote about. It's clear, the argument he's making there. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in, and we'll break this passage down. God, we just, we praise you that we get to, <coughs> we get to come and worship you in your presence. We get to gather as a church family, and we get to preach your word. And so, Lord, just make yourself known to us. Help us to desire to want to encounter you, Jesus. In your name, I pray. Amen. Again, sorry if I'm breathing loudly in the microphone. I'm out of shape. We got to get back in shape, man. The flu knocked it out of me. <sighs> okay. So here's what's happening in the context of our passage. So Paul, he's, he's answering this question, essentially. Why have many Gentiles believed in Jesus, but not many Israelites. So Gentiles, non-Israelites, Israelites are God's chosen people in the Old Testament. So why have many Gentiles believed in the gospel, but not many Israelites? Did God not keep his promise to Israel? Are they not his chosen people? Why have many of them not believed in Jesus? Did his word fail them? And so Paul, what he's trying to do in our context is he's really trying to defend God's word and God's work among the Israelites. By saying God did not fail them. They rejected Jesus. The blame is on them. Even the prophets prophesied of this happening. The Israelites heard the gospel. They understood it, yet they rejected it. Not all Israelites, but in general, many have rejected it. And Paul's saying the blame is on them. And he doesn't say this in a callous way. You see it in, in um Verse 1 of chapter 10, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire in prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. He wants his brothers and sisters to know Jesus. But in this context here, while Paul is answering this question, he proclaims how clear, how simple the gospel message is. And why we need the gospel and the beauty of what happens when we believe in the gospel. So here's the first point that I want to make today. You guys ready? Here's the first point that I want to make today. We preach God's word when we gather to point us to Jesus because we need him. Because we need him. And I know many of you already know that this is true. We preach God's word, we preach the gospel, we preach Jesus when we gather because we need him more than anything else in this world. And just look at in this passage, what's the greatest need in this passage? It's to believe in Jesus so that we will be saved and made righteous with God. You see it all throughout the passage. Paul continually uses the word believe. He uses the word righteous. He uses the word saved. And from verses 30 through verse 4, we see, we see the Israelites in general did not receive righteousness. 
Look with me, verse 31 through 33. It says this. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, look, I'm putting his own, a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. So the, the stumbling stone here, the stone here is Jesus. And the Israelites stumbled over Jesus. They, they could not accept him because they were so focused on living out the law to achieve righteousness with God. They could not accept righteousness based on faith. They were still trying to earn their way to God, earn their righteousness to God. They even had zeal for God, Paul says. Look at verse 2 in chapter 10. I can testify about them. They have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they're ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have submitted, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. It's like our culture that tells us, hey, if you put your mind to it, you can achieve it. Not this. You can't achieve righteousness with God on your own. The Israelites, they were even zealous for God. But even that did not make them right with God because they rejected Jesus. You can be religious and not be right with God. You can read your Bible and not be right with God. You can pray and come to church and even serve God and not be made right with God. The only way to be made right with God is through belief in Jesus, through faith in Christ. And Jesus even says this. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So I want us to see right now how much we need Jesus. If we want God, a relationship with him, we need Jesus. You can't be made right with God any other way except through Jesus. And so how does salvation come through Jesus? We see in verse 4. Verse 4 is the good news. Christ it says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law of the righteousness. So a little bit about the law, if you, if you don't know. Uh, this is one way that the law is used. Not the only way, but one way the law is used is to show us the holy standard of God and how we cannot live up to his holy standard. And that we fall short. It's like uh, when, you, when you take a new class and the teacher, professor gives you a syllabus at the beginning of class. If you don't know what that is, the syllabus is a list of all the things you need to do in order to pass this class. You got to do all these things in order to pass this class. You need to do all these things in order to learn. It's God's law in a way is like that. It's you need to do all these things to be right with God, to have a relationship with God. And, and Jesus summed up the law for us. He says the law can be summed up in, in two ways. It is to love God with your everything, all of your heart, soul, and mind, everything. You guys know this passage. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. So to fulfill the law, to, to live up completely to the law, we would have to love God with our everything every second of the day. We'd have to love God more than anything every second of the day. I know none of us has done that. We have to love our neighbors as ourselves every second of the day. We can't live up perfectly to God's holy standard. We fall short. We can't pass the class. You go to a restaurant, you're given the bill. You can't pay the bill. We need Jesus. And the Bible shows us it's clear as day that humans cannot live out the law perfectly. You can't meet God's holy standard. James 2.10 says this, For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. You say, Steve, I'm not that bad of a person, though. Do I really deserve to be judged rightly by God for all of eternity, separated from him? I'm not that bad. My neighbor's not that bad. Well, it all depends on who you sin against. What happens if you kick a log? Nothing. Broken foot, maybe. What happens if you, I'm not condoning violence, just it's an illustration. What happens if you hit somebody on the side of the street? You might get beat up. You might go to jail. But what happens if you hit a dictator king? Death sentence, right? Well, when you sin, when you rebel against an eternal, holy God of the universe, then the rightful punishment for that is eternal punishment separated from God. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. So we're sinners before God. We have rebelled against him. We were created to worship him, to live for him, to obey him, which is good. And yet we have all said, I want to go my own way. I use this illustration with my students all the time. I say, what, what's the natural reaction when your parents tell you to do something? Your natural reaction is to say, I don't want to do that. It doesn't matter how easy it is. Our natural reaction when somebody tells us to do something is, I don't want to do that. Don't tell me what to do. And then I, parents, I tell your students to say, hey, that's not good. Obey your parents. So there you go, parents. I'm helping you out. But in a much greater way, That's what we all do with God. He created us. He has the right to tell us how to live. And yet we all say, I don't want to live for you, God. I want to do my own thing. I want to live for myself. And this is the foundation of sin, rebelling against God, living for ourselves. So we cannot live perfect. Sinless lives before God to earn our righteousness on our own. So the good news, here's the good news right here. Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Meaning this, you listening? Meaning this, you do not have to live perfect in order to be made right with God. You don't have to live perfect in order to be made right with God. That's the good news of Jesus coming. Jesus coming. 
There's now hope in Jesus so that you can be made right with God. You can have a relationship with God to enjoy him forever and ever. God sent Jesus, the son of God, in the flesh, the God man. Jesus lived sinless life, fulfilled the law, and he obediently went to the cross to pay pay the price for your sins, for my sins, for all of our sins. He died for our sins on the cross to pay the price we couldn't pay. And then God raised him from the dead. And now Jesus promises all, promises all of us in verses 9, 10, 11, and 13. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be made right with God. You'll be forgiven of your sins for good and have a relationship with God when you believe in Jesus. He says the same thing in verse 10. He just keeps going. This is how important this is. One believes in the heart resulting. Oh, that scared me. One believes in the heart resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. You believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. The heart here is talking about you believe with all of your being. You're putting your trust that what Jesus did on the cross for me, I am forgiven through that. Through what Jesus did, I'm believing and trusting in Jesus. And then when you believe in Jesus, it just flows out of your mouth. You confess Jesus is Lord. Verse 11, everyone who believes on him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. You believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. It doesn't matter what your past looks like what your life has looked like or what you've done, when you believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven for good. You will not be put to shame. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul makes it clear He makes it clear to us how we can be saved from our sins and made right with God. It's by believing in Jesus. So we need Jesus. If we want to be made right with God, we need Jesus. We need him. But we don't only need Jesus for salvation. We even need him as followers of Jesus. We continue to need him. And I know if you're a follower of Jesus in here, you know that that is true. Life is hard. Life is tough. We continue to need Christ. We need hope when life gets hard. We need peace. And this is why Jesus comes and he lives in us as his followers. He continues to be our high priest who intercedes on our behalf. He's our shepherd who continues to lead us and guide us. So, <clears throat> sorry for coughing. Um, so me and Mika- Michaela and I, um, we were coming home from a honeymoon. And we were on a plane ride. Or we were get- getting on a plane to come home from Dominican Republic. And it's the worst experience of my life. Oh. So the plane, so I get car sick. So, you know, I take drum of me, make sure I take it for a plane ride. 
And I don't know what it was. The plane went back. It's starting to move. I immediately get sick. And the plane is just hot, like no AC hardly. So that played a big role in it. And I get motion sick. Well, my natural reaction is get off the plane. Like I'm getting sick. Get off the plane. Well, you guys know there's no getting off the plane. The door's shut. We're backing up. Hundreds of people in there. I, I thought about just ruining the flight for everybody and just stand up and say, guys, you got to stop the plane. I got to get off. But so my mind starts freaking out and I immediately get claustrophobic. Everybody's windows are shut. I'm feeling claustrophobic. I feel stuck. I'm about to, and my mind's going, you're about to be stuck for six hours over the ocean. There is no emergency landing. So I'm freaking out. So the plane is ascending in the air and you know, the seatbelt light is on. Even the flight attendants are not up. Nobody's allowed to be up. And I don't care. I need help. I take off my seatbelt. I go back to the flight attendant. I'm like, hey, I don't know what's going on. I'm having a panic attack. Like, I'm freaking out. You, like, I need help. And so she's like, she's nice. She said, go sit down. You're not allowed up. And, uh, but she, she, <laughs> she is nice. So she ended up helping me. So she, she, uh, a couple minutes later, she ends up coming back and she gives me a bag to breathe in. And so I'm breathing in a bag and she gives me an ice pack for my neck and she gives me uh, a, a wet cloth for my face, just trying to cool me down. And so the point I'm trying to make is in that moment, I needed help. Like nothing else mattered. That, that seatbelt light did not matter to me. I needed help in that moment. In a much greater way, I did think I was going to die. In a much greater way. In a much greater way. And we need Jesus. Like we need him more than anything else in this world. And if that's the case, then when we gather, nothing else truly matters than to preach Jesus. Then the one who can save us and the one who has saved us, nothing else truly matters because we need Jesus. Like, do you believe that? Do you believe that you need Jesus more than anything else in this world? Because your greatest need is to know God. And even if we died, even if I died on that airplane, I was, I'm assured of where I was going. I was going to be with Jesus. And truly, everything was going to be okay. I wish I believed that in the moment. I did end up calming down. And Michaela, welcome to being a wife. She was over there fanning me the whole time. She was a, she was a great, she was great. And then I came home and I got the flu and Michaela had to take care of me for a whole week. So it's just, she's had a, a great start to marriage. All right. My second point, I'm going to have to kind of get through this. My second point is this. We preach God's word when we gather to point us to Jesus because we desire Jesus. Like if you know Jesus, if you're following him, and you know this is true. You want Jesus. You want him more than anything else. Look at verse 15. With me. Verse 15. Paul says this. He uses Isaiah 52, 7. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so he takes this from Isaiah 52, 7. So I want to read that verse for us. I think it's going to be on the screen here. Isaiah 52, verse 7 through 10. So here's the context of that verse. Um, the context is, is God delivering his people from captivity. So think of God's people being in captivity by another nation and God freeing them from captivity. And their wailing turns to rejoicing. So listen to Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald. The herald meaning somebody who comes and heralds good news, proclaims news, herald. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings good news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, God's people, your God reigns. And so the picture is a messenger running to the city to proclaim this message of good news. God has freed our people. God has freed our people. And so look at their responses. The voices of your watchmen, they lift up their voices shouting for joy together. For every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. Be joyful. Rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem. Do you see how this text is fulfilled in Jesus? Jesus has come proclaiming peace. Jesus has come proclaiming a message of good news, a message of salvation, that everyone who believes in Jesus is free from the ultimate oppressors. Sin and death, death that comes for everyone. In Jesus, we're free from death because we are spiritually made alive and we will live for eternity with Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Why would we ever get bored of this good news of hearing that in Jesus we're free? We're free from sin. We're free from death. We're alive. We know God. You does anybody have a, a song that you just play on repeat? Like, you can't get enough of that song. You wish it was longer. Like, don't you hate it when those songs are two minutes long? It's like, come on, make it longer. Make it four minutes so I can enjoy it more. Well, that's, this is the gospel. Like, let's put it on repeat. Like, let's not get bored of this. We desire to hear this good news, especially when life is hard, when life is tough. I need Jesus. I want to hear his name proclaimed. He is the greatest thing in all the world. Give me Jesus. And, and only he can truly satisfy our hearts and our deepest longings. This is why Jesus says to the a Samaritan woman at the well, in John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. Jesus is saying the things of this world cannot satisfy you. Only I can. What are you trying to find satisfaction from in the world? That really only Jesus can give you. What are you trying to find satisfaction in the world? Whatever that is, fill in the blank. It can't satisfy you like Jesus. It's a show called Outer Banks. And it's uh, this show where these teenagers, um, they're, they're, they're treasure hunters. And they search for treasure. They risk their lives to find this treasure. And they find it and really nothing. They, 
doesn't satisfy. They, they find other things, other treasure to chase. They continuously risk their lives. They're never satisfied. Only Jesus can truly satisfy us. So when we come, give me Jesus. <laughs> Verse 14, starting to land the plane here. Verse 14, Paul says, How can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? Verse 17, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. If if people are going to believe in Jesus, they need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus. So this is why we preach Jesus. We preach the gospel. We preach God's word. Only Jesus can save people from their sins. Only Jesus can truly satisfy the longings in our hearts. So who else would we rather preach than him? Who else? Will you? Will you be satisfied with just casually gathering together and just going through the motions to get distracted to want to hurry and go to lunch. Hey, I'm hungry too. I might get Chipotle after this. But hey, it can wait, right? I love Chipotle. Will you be satisfied with just casually going through the motions? Casually just showing up here and going through the motions? Will you be satisfied with not encountering Jesus through God's word, through worship, through praying? Verse 16 says, but not all have obeyed the gospel. Not all have obeyed the gospel. And then in verses 18 through 21, Paul is saying that the Israelites, they heard the gospel, they understood the gospel, but they stumbled over Jesus. They rejected Jesus. And some of you in here are rejecting Jesus. You don't have to stumble over him. Today, put your trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins and believe in him. Start following him. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, maybe you're not full out rejecting, you're not full out rejecting the gospel, but your heart's grown cold to the gospel. You've grown cold to the gospel. You hear the message of Jesus and you forget that you need it. That is the greatest need in your life. You hear the gospel of Jesus and you forget. You don't desire it above all other things. So when you come here on Sundays and you hear, when you come here on Sundays, you don't thirst for God's word because you no longer thirst for God. As the band comes back up, don't be like the Israelites here. Don't reject Jesus, or don't grow cold to him. Like come wanting to encounter Jesus. Come expecting to encounter Jesus through the word of God. Because we need him and we desire him. And this is true for when we gather in small groups. We gather around God's word. Because it's the only thing we need and truly desire. And when we gather in student ministry, we we gather around God's word. 
And our kids' ministry gathers around God's word. And as you come also, we preach the word of God. We preach the gospel to equip you so that you can go to your neighbors. You can go to your community. You can go among the nations and proclaim the good news of Jesus. So let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Just to, I just want to ask God to help us to want to encounter him when we gather together as a church family. You know, I, I, when, our, when our students gather, I, we usually start off praying. And, and I just ask the students in their hearts to God to just ask God to help them want to dive into his word. To ask God to help them want to hear from him because they want him. And so just take time between you and the Lord and just ask God to help you. When you gather on Sundays, when you gather in your small groups, you want the word. You want Jesus through the word of God. When we study the word of God, we see Jesus. We see who he is. We see his glory. We see what he's done for us. So ask God that. Even in your devotion lives, ask God to help you want Jesus more than anything else in this world.